0: LaFosse Corporation, LLC. Welcome once again to the mansion on the hill, the house of strange, the palace of mystery. This is the home of Terry's mysterious moments. This is season five. We thank you for listening to the show. Hello and welcome back, folks, to the show you just can't stand to miss. Some of you just can't stand it. Some of you just can't miss it. Anyway, on with the show. Welcome back for another episode of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Let's get right into it. The Badlands. It's a place name which brings to mind barren, eroded rock outcroppings and not much hope. In the southwest of the contiguous U.S. states and up toward Canada, east of the Rocky Mountains, are the properties known as the Badlands. On roads traveling through America's extensive badlands, legends, mysteries, and outright frights exist and manifest with particular regularity. Spirits appear, many times as hitchhikers who welcome the comfort of a ride. Sometimes they're quiet, other times they talk a bit. Sometimes they say things that can chill your blood then they disappear. When reporting to the authorities, the police will not understandingly and dutifully take notes, and when the reporting person is reassured and has left the area, the officers don't laugh about it. They simply acknowledge the latest appearance of the local legendary vanishing hitchhiker. We've all heard about Route 66, sometimes known as the Mother Road. It originally ran from Chicago, Illinois, and it ran through Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and on into Santa Monica, California. It was officially removed from the rolls of the highway system in 1985, and has since become a tourist attraction when people can find parts of that original highway. There's a little-known offshoot of the highway that out west of Albuquerque takes off to the north. It enters Colorado and then turns west and goes, goes into Utah where it ends. This part of the highway was originally named Route 666, and with a name like that, a nickname had to come along, and it did, The Devil's Highway. Over the years, car accidents, along with the accompanying deaths, and other extremely mysterious events have given rise to a belief that this route indeed belongs to the Devil. Truckers have often reported odd events along Route 666. One trucker reported being tracked and eventually attacked by a weird cloud. He had flashes of green lightning going off all around him and in his head, he said. He was under this attack for a while, and then suddenly he came out of it. No more cloud, no lightning, no weirdness, except it was four hours later, and he had driven a hundred miles since first encountering the strangeness. Another trucker reported a period of weirdness during his time on a dangerous stretch of the infamous road. While traveling a dangerously curvy part of the highway, a place of serious and deadly accidents involving trucks, this driver felt an eeriness enter his cab. He was no longer alone. A smoky, see-through entity had taken a seat in the passenger cab. Without taking his eyes off the road, the driver was able to get glimpses of his ride-along His entity was damaged as though having been in a serious traffic accident. Although frightened beyond all comprehension, the driver felt no threat from his rider. In fact, he said he felt reassured, almost comforted by the Phantom, as though it was helping him get through this tough part of the road, almost confirming that thought. When the road straightened out, The Phantom Disappeared. One enduring legend of Route 666 speaks of a young girl in a white dress who wanders along the desolate dark road in the middle of the night. Being that there is nothing around for miles, most motorists who see the girl attempt to stop and offer help, as one would in a situation like that. Invariably, though, when they do, the young girl disappears into the thin air of the night, Linda Dunning, the author of Specters in Doorways, The History and Hauntings of Utah, tells of an experience her husband had on this treacherous road. He was driving alone on Route 666 one night when suddenly he saw a truck that looked like it was on fire heading straight for him right down the middle of the highway. The truck was going so fast that sparks were flying up off the wheels and flames were coming from the smokestack. He estimated that the truck was traveling 130 miles an hour. He pulled off the road and fled into the desert until the imposing flaming vehicle passed him by. According to Linda, the mad trucker is not the only apparition one should be wary of while traversing this cursed ribbon of asphalt. She says, Packs of demon dogs have been seen on this highway as well. They attack at night with yellow eyes and sharp teeth shredding the tires of those silly enough to stop along this highway at night. There are many other tales of people who either disappear along this route or suddenly appear out of nowhere. There are even tales of the same person disappearing at one point along the highway and then reappearing at another location miles away without having any recollection of where they've been or what they've been doing. More malevolent spirits of the road will go so far as to climb into your car with you. It's said that Native American shapeshifters, known as skinwalkers, terrorize motorists along Route 666. They first appear as various animals in front of moving vehicles, hoping to cause drivers to swerve and crash. If this does not work, they appear in the back seat of the car, attempting to steal passengers' souls. After much public expression of concern over and religious groups' objection to the number 666, this stretch of highway was renamed. But events still are reported and stories are still told about the Devil's Highway, the former Route 666. Are the Badlands bad? Lands bad? Does the desolation of the area give rise to evil things? Is the lifelessness of the Badlands suitable only for dead things? On the eastern end of the southwestern Badlands around Abilene, Texas, a modern legend, uh, I would say a modern urban legend, has popped up and the legend has legs, soon becoming a story that many people have repeated with their own twists on the stories. A journalist is one of the first people to report this situation, and perhaps that's as it should be. Did this writer actually experience what he said he had? Or is it a fanciful tale, perhaps a cautionary tale, about being out alone late at night? Do black-eyed children and adults in a few cases actually exist? Black-eyed children, or black-eyed kids, B-E-Ks for short, are an American contemporary legend of paranormal creatures that resemble children between ages 6 and 16, with very pale skin and black eyes, who are reportedly seen hitchhiking or begging, or are encountered on doorsteps of residential homes. In some stories, the beings are adults. As the story goes, journalist Brian Bethel wrote a story of an encounter that happened to him in a fairly deserted shopping center parking lot in Abilene, Texas, where he had gone to drop off a payment for his internet provider. Uh, you remember those days? As he wrote out the check, he says he was approached by two kids aged about nine to twelve, They tapped on his car window and gave a story of intending to go to a movie but having forgotten their money at home. They asked for a ride home to go get their money. When Bethel appeared reticent, the older child began a very soothing, smooth pitch that he needed to get into the car, which almost caused Bethel to open the door. When he ultimately refused, the request became more pushy Let us in now, type things. When Bethel got a clear view of the boys' faces, he noticed their black eyes. Their eyes, without any distinguishable pupil, iris, or sclera, are pitch black. Bethel apparently decided that discretion and living was the better part of kindness and drove away. But as he looked in the rear view, the boys were gone. Did Bethel and have others actually had a paranormal encounter with these otherworldly beings? Or did he just have a flash of inspiration for a very intense creepy pasta? I can't give credence to his and other stories of seeing and interacting with BEKs because their experiences are not my experiences. I can and do have my own opinions on things like this. I hope you apply critical thinking and make your own minds up. Bigfoot as an alien visitor? Well, the thought is out there. The concept is out there. Apparently, many reports of UFOs are accompanied by reports of Bigfoots appearing either in conjunction with or soon after the UFOs appear, and when confronted, usually by force, or gunfire, both UFOs and Bigfoots are gone. So this begs the question, are Bigfoots actually aliens? And if they are, are there Bigfoots based on Earth as an advance guard prior to a possible alien invasion? Just a thought. We have in the USA a whole gamut of monsters Bigfoot skunk ape Sasquatch, a variety of lake or waterborne critters, reptoids, reptilians, lizard men, flying weirdos, demonic aberrations such as the Jersey Devil, evil little beings, puckwudgies, gnomes, and water babies, ghosts, devil dogs, and others. Some of the ones which intrigue me are stories about werewolf-type critters. Are they simply fluff or fluffy? Stories told to keep people in line through fear? Or are they factual stories? Can people actually undergo physical transformations into bloodthirsty, ravening beasts, other than at football games? Is the Michigan Dog Man a true being? or is it a collective hallucination? Is the Bray Road Beast actually a tormented human or a greatly enhanced critter? Is there truly a Cajun werewolf? What about the Luke guru or the Rougarou? The Luke guru is a Louisiana import from France where they had numerous werewolf type stories, including the infamous Beast of Jevadan attributed arguably, with around 610 attacks, many of them being fatal. Why do we like scary stories? Is it the adrenaline rush upon the resolution when we've survived the story? Fear responses produce endorphins, which can be a sort of natural high. Other feel-good chemicals can also come into play with fear namely the endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. The strange juxtapositioning of getting scared to feel good is humorous to me. I can picture a typical hippie-type character, long, unwashed hair, headband made of beads or flowers, you know, wearing homemade knitted shirts and a leather vest with fringe, and flip-flops on its feet with raggedy jeans above. And this character has just having the bejeebies scared out of him by a supernatural encounter, then just laughing slightly and simply saying, wow, dude, with a satisfied smile on his face. There's your natural high. Men in black are a very familiar story of our times. In popular culture, The MIBs appear soon on the hills of UFO sightings and and always have explanations to pacify the upset viewer. It's swamp gas, or that was the planet Venus, some other strange reasoning. But in all seriousness, reports of these beings are found all through UFOlogy records. Who are they really? Agents of our own government? Probably not agents of otherworldly governments. Otherworldly, maybe. And why has the description of these men varied over the years other than their standard MIB suits? Many early reports of these beings described a vaguely oriental look about them. Perhaps sallow complexions, somewhat slanted eyes. Coming so soon on the end of hostilities with the Japanese in World War II Could the Oriental description have been an unconscious holdover from wartime fear of an enemy? These beings were often described as being very persuasive, being able to talk a person out of their sighting with what we might refer to today as Jedi mind tricks, like you saw nothing, you're safe, etc. But then some of them used heavier-handed tactics to frighten possibly the less persuadable witnesses who held on to their stories, threatening them with punishment, incarceration, even becoming one of the disappeared. It's possible that the story of the men in black, the mysterious figures that would become the subject of fascination in UFO conspiracy circles and eventually break into mainstream popular culture, can be traced back to one day, June 27th, 1947. It's quite possible that it all started with a man, a boy, and a dog on a boat. As the story goes, Harold Dahl was on a conservation mission in the Puget Sound near the eastern shore of Washington's Maury Island, gathering logs when he saw six donut-shaped obstacles. Mm. Oh nuts! Hovering about a half mile above his boat. Before long, one of them fell nearly 1,500 feet, followed by raining metallic debris, some of which hit Dahl's son, Charles, on his arm, as well as the family dog, who didn't quite survive the ordeal. Dahl was able to take some pictures of the aircraft with his camera, which he later showed to his supervisor, Fred Chrisman, A skeptical Chrisman went back to the scene to look for himself and saw a strange aircraft with his own eyes. The following morning, Dahl was visited by a man in a black suit. They end up at a local diner where the man was able to recount in extraordinary detail what Dahl had just experienced. What I have said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours then you will want to believe, the man said. According to author Gray Barker's 1956 book, they knew too much about flying saucers. Dahl was told not to speak of the incident. If he did, bad things would happen. The supposed events of Maury Island have continued to fuel conspiracy theories to this day. Even though a U.S. government investigation deemed it a hoax, after Dahl and Chrisman later admitted as much. Personally, I think they got flashy thinged. In particular, the mention of the man in the black suit would evolve into a key obsession for UFO enthusiasts and spread into American popular culture. In all of their different incarnations, the men in black, MIBs, usually have one main purpose, to muzzle witnesses of strange paranormal phenomena. They almost always wear black suits and hats with dark sunglasses. They drive black cars and arrive in groups of two or three. Some describe them as one would an FBI agent, while others recall the MIB as having strange appearances, sometimes with supernatural features like glowing eyes and strange complexions. So how do we get from Harold Dahl to Will Smith? The transformation of the story from a first press report to a folkloric tale to a comic book and now to a series of films illustrates how the myth is transformed. Wrote Phil Patton in the New York Times around the time the first Men in Black movie was released in 1997. That process is not unlike the children's game of telephone. You remember that game? You whisper something in the ear of the person next to you and it goes around the group and the last person to get the message then has to repeat it, usually to hilarious, embarrassing, or catastrophic result or what the literary critic Harold Bloom calls innovation by misinterpretation. Sticking with the telephone analogy, the first call was made to Kenneth Arnold a pilot who had his own alleged UFO sighting on June 24, 1947, near Mount Rainier, Washington. Though it happened three days before the Maury Island incident, it was the first widely reported sighting and it touched off the saucer sensation, as was written in a 1949 government report on flying saucers. The report states that Dahl & Chrisman reached out to a Chicago magazine in an attempt to sell their story. And the magazine editor then contacted Arnold, hoping he would help verify their account. Arnold then summoned two officers of Army A-2 Intelligence to aid in the investigation of Dahl and Chrisman's claim. According to the report, in July 1947, two Army A-2 Intelligence officers came to investigate. After leaving in their B-25 the next day, the plane caught fire and crashed, killing both officers and doing nothing to quiet UFO conspiracists. But the Maury Island story gained little notice in the UFO community until Barker's 1956 book, in which he wrote of his file on the Maury Island incident. It largely consisted of the writings of Ray Palmer the Chicago Magazine editor referred to in the government's report. Barker went on to connect the dots between the man who wore a black suit, who took Dahl to breakfast, and three similarly dressed men who allegedly visited a young UFO enthusiast named Albert K. Bender in 1953. It was Bender who almost single-handedly ushered in the plague of the men in black just as Arnold inaugurated the era of the UFO. Ufologist Nick Redfern wrote in his book, The Real Men in Black. But it was Barker's book that told Bender's story, thus introducing the concept of the MIB to a much wider audience. It still has an important legacy, said Robert Schaefer, a UFO researcher. Before its publication, nobody outside a very narrow group of subscribers to flying saucer newsletters had ever heard of Bender or his MIB. Barker described Bender's visitors as three men in black suits with threatening expressions on their faces. Three men who walk in on you and make certain demands. Three men who know that you know what the saucers really are. Bender, in his own 1962 book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, described the MIB in much more frightening language. "'They floated about a foot off the floor. "'They looked like clergymen but wore hats "'similar to the Hamburg style. "'The faces were not clearly discernible "'for the hats partially hid and shaded them. "'The eyes of all three figures "'suddenly lit up like flashlight bulbs. "'They seemed to burn into my very soul "'as the pains above my eyes "'became almost unbearable,' wrote Bender." Barker would go on to write several more books relating to the paranormal in UFOs, including 1970's The Silver Bridge, which helped spread the story of another popular paranormal figure, the creature known as Mothman. But how much of his writing was done in good faith has been called into question by many in the UFO research community. Barker made it clear to me that he did not take the MIB or Mothman very seriously, said Schaefer, who corresponded with Barker on occasion. However, he believed that there was still something mysterious about the whole UFO and paranormal thing. He had other motives than exposing a certain situation. Gray Barker was an American writer best known for his books about UFOs and other paranormal phenomena. His 1956 book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, introduced the notion of the men in black to UFO culture. Recent evidence indicates that he was skeptical of most UFO claims and mainly wrote about the paranormal for financial gain. He sometimes even participated in hoaxes to deceive more serious UFO investigators. Regardless of Barker's motives, countless MIB encounters have been reported since They Knew Too Much was published nearly 60 years ago. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Aaron reads listener stories Mostly ghost stories, sometimes UFOs, sometimes cryptids. On Tuesday, Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's Horror Show. Different things that he's written. He reviews movies, books, things like that. On Wednesday, it's me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about. And at the first weekend of the month, we have video from The Witching Hour. Aaron has instituted a new area called Entertaining Short Films. That's exactly what they are. They're just short stories. Nothing in particular. No particular genre. Just entertaining. Remember that you can go to your App Store, whether you have Apple or Android, download the RPA app, which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it. Download that to the device that you listen to the program on. Install it, and when you open that up, you can go straight to the Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, and its network. So all the all the stories that are involved with RPA are there so you don't have to go hunting for them if you want to contact me at terry's mysterious moments you can do that on the facebook page and it's called terry's mysterious moments or you can email me at terry's mysterious moments at gmail.com contact me if you want to let's talk about some things that's about it we'll be back again listen to the other shows